0: Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Members of Congress just got done wrangling over that $1 trillion spending bill to address the pandemic, the economic crisis, and poverty here in America. Now they're gearing up for another massive spending bill. President Joe Biden wants to pass an even bigger plan aimed at rebuilding America's aging and crumbling infrastructure, something we have been talking about doing in this country for a really long time and have never really committed the resources to actually make it happen. Now, there's some hope that this kind of spending might even attract some support across the aisle, as Republicans have also been emphasizing the need to rebuild American infrastructure in the past. But if recent history is a guide, the prospect of Republicans going along with anything proposed by a Democrat is a pretty risky bet. Here to talk about these dynamics and what it all means here in Michigan is Congressman Dan Keldy, a Democrat from Flint Township, who represents Michigan's fifth congressional district? Dan, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank
1: you, Stephen. It's good to be back.
0: Before we talk about infrastructure, I do want to get your take on the COVID relief package and what it will mean for your district. There's about ten billion dollars uh, headed to Michigan as part of that package. A lot, a lot of that money, of course, will go to to local governments. Uh, what, what do you expect to see? in your district uh, from from this spending
1: well what we hope to see is number 1 to deal with the economic impact of coronavirus i think that's one of the misunderstandings that some may have had and frankly that some of my colleagues tried to uh, actually tried to fuel and that is by pointing out that much of the effort much of the resource is going to deal with the economic impact of covid to try to make sure that people can take the necessary steps to protect themselves, that businesses can adopt the policies and practices that keep them afloat, and have the economic resources to do so without risking everything. And so what we hope we see is that this money will stabilize the economy and then position the economy to grow. Um, Some economists expect to see somewhere between 6 and 7% growth. That's good news in a lot of ways because it puts a lot of people back to work, but it also helps us pay off the cost of this investment. Economic growth expands the economy. When the economy expands, federal revenues go up and we can pay down the cost of this investment.
0: So so there were a lot of things in this, in this package. I wonder, though, what your take is on the anti-poverty measures, which have gotten a lot of Attention! There are a lot of people comparing these ideas to things that we tried in the 1960s when Lyndon Johnson was was president. But poverty is a, a huge issue in your district. Uh, what do you make of the effort to to dra- dramatically reduce it in some cases, especially among children?
1: Well, the interesting thing about the pandemic is that it not only exacerbated the difficulties that people who live in poverty experience. It's much more difficult to manage a situation like this when you have no financial resources. But it also revealed in, you know, in real stark terms the inequities in our society. And so when we crafted this legislation, we wanted to make sure that people who live in poverty have those resources, that others all, already have somebody to go to to help them get through next month's you know bills but to try to do what we can also to correct that inequity. I mean, when we have the opportunity and the tools in our hands to deal with generational poverty, we have a responsibility to act. So what we hope happens uh, with this is that we put these individuals who have been struggling and families that have been struggling on a better path to get them stabilized, to, to deal with their housing needs, to make sure that they have food on the table to put their kids in a school that will perform and will give them a real chance, all of that is a chance for us to break the generational cycles of poverty. Um, So my view on this was, while we have this once, maybe once in a generation opportunity to correct some of the real inequities that are the result of an economic system, this is not just the natural function of the marketplace, the rules of the economy have been stacked against people who live in poverty. Here's a chance for us to rewrite those
0: rules. Hmm. So let's talk about the move by the president to say, well, we got that done. Now we want to move on to infrastructure, which is an even bigger issue in our country. Uh, The package that he's putting together could total as much as $3 trillion. I wonder what you hope that legislation might look like.
1: Well, I'm, I'm happy to see this moving forward. And this, as you were saying in the lead-in, this is a subject that Democrats and Republicans have been talking about for a long time, and that we all acknowledge has to get done. We also know the size of the problem. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers, not a partisan organization, a bunch of engineers, they have produced uh, a study, which was published just a couple years ago, that shows that there's a need for about $4.3 trillion of investment in infrastructure just to get us all into the 21st century. So my hope is that this is a big step toward solving that problem and that Democrats and Republicans come together. Some of my Republican colleagues might have legitimate differences and disagreements over the need to do what we did in the coronavirus and the American Rescue Plan. But I don't think they can argue that we don't need infrastructure investment, that we don't need this effort to bring us into the 21st century, especially when we're competing, say, for example, with China, which invests roughly 10 times what we do on infrastructure as a percentage of their GDP. So this is like one of those long overdue issues that gets worse the longer we wait. So I hope it includes, you know, the the typical stuff, roads, bridges, water and sewer, all the things we think about when it comes to infrastructure, but also helps to correct some of the inequities of the past. Brownfield cleanup, for example, cleaning up contaminated sites in old industrial cities, Mm -hmm. the demolition of obsolete structures, fixing the physical environment in this country is more than just new roads and bridges and pipelines. It also means cleaning up the mistakes of the past and letting communities all start at the same starting line as the economy begins to grow. And if we don't do that, then I think what we could see is all this capital moving into the economy, further exacerbating the differences between the haves and the have nots. And that would be, I think, a real tragic uh, lost opportunity.
0: I'm talking with Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township who represents Michigan's 5th District in Congress. We're talking about the proposal that President Joe Biden says is next on his agenda. He's got this $1.9 trillion COVID relief package all wrapped up, voted on, and uh, signed by him. And money is starting to flow to states and local governments and to individuals. A lot of people getting those $1,400 checks already from the federal government as part of that package. Now Joe Biden says we need to focus on the nation's infrastructure and that the bill for doing that could be even more, as much as $3 trillion dollars. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. How important do you think this kind of issue is? How important do you think bipartisanship is going to be for an issue like this? Are we likely to see Republicans who have talked about the importance of infrastructure in the past line up behind uh, President Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress to get this passed? Or do you think that uh, they're unlikely to support anything That comes out of the Biden White House. Uh, Also, give us a sense of what you think infrastructure money should be spent on. Give us a sense of what goes on in your community uh, that gives you an idea of how badly we have taken care of infrastructure uh, and uh, of the great need to to, kind of catch up. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, Dan, one of the, the, the pitches, I think, for this infrastructure spending is, is itself about job creation. That, yeah, $3 trillion is a lot of money. But if you spend that repairing the nation's infrastructure, you will put a lot of people to work. That's a message that I think probably will resonate with Republican voters. I don't know that it'll necessarily resonate with the uh, Republican representatives in Congress, but 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 talk about that, that dimension of this, that, that this is about putting people to work as well.
1: For sure. And I think that's, one of the benefits that helps actually pay off the cost of doing this in the first place. So the the, the the basic benefit is that we have an infrastructure system that allows us to be far more competitive. You know, we're living in world in a world economy that's highly competitive. If we have the best infrastructure, we can move our products and services to market much more efficiently. So that's the that's the basic argument. But the secondary piece of this which you point out is that we would put millions and millions of Americans to work for a decade because you, know, you don't spend $3 trillion in, in a year or two. Mm-hmm. This would be a decade-long investment that would put people to work across the, econ- uh, uh, the economy in all sorts of aspects of the infrastructure development plan. And again, this is an opportunity for us to grow the economy to deal with the unemployment issues we face. And I think an important element of this is if we have a 10-year infrastructure plan that will require a workforce uh, in those skilled trades that will actually implement the work, it gives us the chance to train people for those jobs, to put them in apprenticeship programs. Because we don't have the workforce we need right now in order to do all the work that will need to be done in the next decade. And we have so many people who've had a difficult time moving from the old economy to the new economy. And even when they get trained with new skills, there isn't necessarily work for them. This is a chance for us to fix that. So it's the long-term effect of investing in infrastructure to make us more competitive. It's the economic input into the economy by having so many people hired. But I think the most important element of this is that it gives people a chance who don't have the skill set to have trade to actually get trained through a union apprenticeship program and go to work for a decade and perhaps for the rest of their career doing something that they see as really meaningful, using their hands, using their mind to create something. Mm.
0: Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Brad in Shelby. Brad, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi.
2: Uh, I'm a 65-year-old retiree, been a machinist for 37 years from the workforce was 47. I mean, it, uh, it's just kind of ridiculous. Like I said, I'm not in union, and uh, these infrastructure jobs, they're going to go to union people. And you know what? I understand why, because they have the skill set. You can't just train somebody to do construction in uh, two months. I mean, Focus Hope started out with that, and then it got a lot of pushback, and it came back with a really nice program, a, a one that really means something, but... I think it's just going to be a waste of money to, you know, make people think they're getting a skill set that they're not going to be able to use.
0: And, and so, uh, Brad, I, before I have the congressman uh, address your your issues, I, I wonder what you think should be the solution to that. How would you make it more inclusive?
2: How do you mean inclusive? If well, if a person's going, got the wherewithal to get off of the rear end and go out and get some training. They'll be success, but if they don't, they're
0: never going to be anything other than what they are. Hmm. Okay, Brad, appreciate the call and the, the perspective. Congressman, uh, respond to what he's saying.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I guess I might disagree because if, in fact, we have a large infrastructure initiative, it is just a matter of fact that we don't have adequate trained workers to fully implement. An infrastructure plan of this size and magnitude and so we will need to expand the workforce the trained workforce to work on this the difference though between this situation and perhaps what the caller describes and I do agree with one aspect of what he says we have had a history in this country of sort of slapdash training that gets people you know some kind of a skill for which there is no demand I I don't think we want to see that happen, but Mm -hmm. what we're talking about here is actually starting with the effort to create the demand for the workers, investing in infrastructure, having a 10 year plan so that someone who engages in an apprenticeship program that may take a year or two to complete, will be able to go into the workforce and work with those skills and perhaps have a career that comes from that. So I get the caller's point, and that's why we're not talking about this as a workforce development initiative. We're talking about this as an infrastructure initiative, which will require us to get the skilled workers prepared to do the work. It's a it's, we're getting the horse back in front of the cart again if we do this right.
0: Mm. Uh, again, Brad, uh, do appreciate uh, you listening and appreciate the call, and your perspective. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. You there, Elena?
1: Yes, I am. Thank you. go ahead. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. I want to um, thank you for having this important discussion. I want to also bring your attention to the very, very important issue of the tax captures and tax abatements that actually funnel... The money from development back to developers, hmm. and keep us from funding our libraries and schools in Detroit specifically. Little Caesars Arena takes our school money, the Downtown Development Authority takes our library money, mm-hmm. and there's a great deal of pushback on it right now during this election cycle. But if we can't fund our libraries and our schools. We will also continue to have the wildly segregated skilled trade segment that we do have now that does not benefit Detroiters, even though we're paying for other people's playgrounds
0: yeah uh, that's a really great point uh, Elena I'm glad you called and and made it uh, Dan you know a a lot of spending on you know building projects doesn't end up benefiting the people who live in those communities as much as it benefits the people who are either working on the jobs, and, and often it's not people from those communities who get the, the, the bulk of those jobs, uh, and, and of course they, they benefit the, the developers who are doing the work. Uh, how in in a bill, uh, in a piece of legislation, can we ensure that more of the benefit accrues to, to people in communities like Flint or, or Detroit?
1: It's a good question, and it's, the caller raises a really serious point. It, it's a complicated question because part of her point is related to the lack of support for local essential government services. We have a broken municipal finance system in this state and a lot of other states that penalize communities that have had population loss. And you and I have talked about this in the past. Fundamentally, we have to fix that. But this issue of development and how development incentives are used to pit Community against another. These incentives wouldn't be necessary if we enforce the notion that we're not going to allow a community to have to compete with another community by offering up tax dollars that should be used to support essential services. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with an organization over the years, um, and, and he might be somebody you might want to talk to about this. Uh, an organization called Good Jobs First, a guy named Greg Leroy runs right. it, and their research really focuses on how so many of these development incentives don't benefit the communities that they're intending to benefit, mm-hmm. or at least they are, you know, uh, putatively intended to to benefit, um, and in fact are a fast way of exporting capital from a community. I think this is a real serious issue. That the problem we have, of course is that as long as communities are in a position to have to negotiate these incentives against another community that might be competing for that same development, we're going to continue to see this sort of problem. And I think it's something that has to be taken on. I, I think one of the ways to do it is to move away from uh, these tax giveaway incentives and actually fund development mm-hmm. directly through um, in this case, an infrastructure plan, some of the things that I want to do is see more capital to support development moving into the most distressed places to support development without asking taxpayers to defund libraries, to defund schools or other aspects that are really essential to civil society in order to get development. That's the, that's the heart of the problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, Elena, again, thanks very much for the call. And a really insightful uh, observation there. Let's go to John quickly in Windsor. John, welcome to the show. Good
3: morning, sir. Great conversation as usual. Thank you. Um, You know, we talk about infrastructure projects and job creation, the benefits. In Windsor, we've had the two largest infrastructure projects in our country's history, the bridge and a water retention plant. Mm -hmm. Our unemployment is 10.9 percent, hasn't budged. You know, you look at pictures of the 30s building the Ambassador Bridge, hundreds, if not thousands of people all over the place. Look at the new bridge. There's four guys and three machines building it. Hmm. Technology increases, unfortunately, putting money in the infrastructure, which we need because I want to drive my car from A to B on a decent road. But that's not long-term planning for us. That's incredible short-term. We need to retrain we need high education. I don't have the answers, but it appears to me we're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different uh, result hmm. that's my
0: answer uh, John uh, I, I really appreciate you injecting that perspective into the conversation as well uh, congressman, I've only got a couple minutes left but 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 answer his criticism here
1: well I, I, I take it as a um, as a logical point because I don't think anyone should assert that doing one thing and one thing only solves the problem. We know for sure that even with the best-trained workforce, if we have 19th-century infrastructure competing in a 21st-century world, we're going to fail. Uh, A 10-year infrastructure plan has the most significant benefit of making us more competitive, but that doesn't mean we walk away from the need to make uh, the K-12 experience more effective post secondary education, whether it's skill training, community college, or four year degree, more accessible. It all is important, and we can't decide we're only going to do one of these things and somehow believe that it's going to be a panacea. It won't be, but we have to operate on, number, on a number of fronts, and that's what we're trying to do.
0: Okay, Dan Kildy, Congressman. From Flint Township, who represents Michigan's 5th District. It's always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Stephen.
0: That's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when historian and author Walter Isaacson is going to join the show. Talk about his new book, The Codebreaker. Jennifer Doudna, Gene Editing and the Future of the Human Race. We're going to talk about gene editing and the ethical dilemmas of modern science and medicine. Stay with us, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more Detroit Today.